Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. We're going to keep moving forward here this morning. We've been doing a series that uh, I told Jamie, I said, you know, I'm not done yet. <laughs> Jamie got it started. We're talking about justification and sanctification. And last week we talked about the continuing work of the Lord. And we've got a call. Who remembers what our call is? To be free. That's exactly right. Simple calling, isn't it? God wants us to be free. And we talked about last week how he wants to get us there. And our idea of freedom, we always think, is just doing what we want, doing what our flesh wants, doing what is easy for us to do, which more often than not, when we really, really want it, probably need to check that out the door, shouldn't we, to see what's going on. What is it? Is our passion really lined up with the will and the heart of God? So we also had a command. Remember what the command was? Love one another, Right? to love one another as we love ourselves. So real simple, God is, we've got a calling on our lives. It's a calling to be free. We've got a command that comes from God, and that is to love him and to love others. And he told us in the word last week that if we love others, then we will f- uh, fulfill the law. And we learned all about what that means. And so I'm not going to re-preach that. But I want to talk about what often comes when we, when we do that. If God wants freedom, then there is a process of freedom. There is something that takes place in our life. The Holy Spirit is leading us into a work, a deep work. And how does he do that? Well, the very essence, the very presence of Christ, that took place when he showed up. Wherever Jesus went, there was a deep sense of hunger and need. But another thing, conviction was a wave. You could look into the eyes of Christ. It was like a laser. He'd go down through us and and he could go down through the people there and go through us as we come, as we approach him. He begins to examine our hearts, our motives, what we do in the quietness of our own life, what we do in secret. So we're going to look at Psalm 51 today, a very powerful, powerful psalm. It was in our reading this week uh, as we're going through the Bible. And as we're reading that this week, I just had to stop. You know, the, the, the background on Psalm 51 is where David is called out in his sin against Bathsheba and her husband. And we all know that story. It's a very hard story. It's one of those stories in the Bible that people like to look at and say, wow, that's in the Bible? Yeah, sure, it is. It's, it's one of those things where David is call, caught in adultery and he was just going to brush and then, of course, uh, party to Bathsheba's husband's death, essentially murder. And Samuel, uh, or no, uh, the prophet comes to him and he just says, David, you are hiding this sin. God has showed me what your sin is. The Hebrew message, hata ayish, which means thou art the man. He's caught. And so we have this background. David then goes through the process of repentance and what he has to go through, and as a result, he writes this psalm. So this is not a, so let's just call it a song. He writes this song that is just absolutely loaded with personal experience. 
from, birth, from every, every word. And so as we take some time to read this this morning, I, I want you to see the background for this. And so I'm going to break it up into three parts that I think will help us in this process. If God wants freedom in our life, then freedom is going to come forward through a process. There's going to be that work of sanctification. And I, don't you wish that God would just come with the, the sanitizing uh, you know, stick and just go bing, and all sin is just sucked out of us? No more judgment, no more anger, no more, no more immorality, no more anything. It's just like bing, that'd be wonderful. But it is something we have to cooperate with. And often it comes through our struggles, battles, and failures. And you'll see that Psalm 51 is exactly crafted to help us do just that. So let's look at it. I'm going to break it into three parts, as I said. First one is caught. Second, confession. Thirdly, the cleansing. So let's jump right in. Caught. When we're caught in a sin, guilt naturally comes. It's brought on by the Spirit of God's conviction. The Holy Spirit is there. We can't walk with this very long before we feel the heaviness of what we've done. And so let's read what David said. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. So David is describing what has taken place inside him. He knows that, the, that his father is pulling him, is, is drawing him into freedom, just like God is drawing us into freedom. He wants us free. And when we want a relationship with him, an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, you can't have one without the other. It's just, just going to be there. The more you want him the more he's going to whisper into our ear, that has to go. You can't walk in that because we're on a journey here. We're growing, we're changing, we're transforming. And so David, what happens inside him when he's confronted, he immediately goes to the Lord and says, Lord, have mercy upon me. He knows about God's mercy. He's, he understands the mercy of God. He also knows that God is willing to give it. And that is something we need to be confident of. If, J Jesus, I'm sorry, if David knew and was aware of the mercy of God under the old covenant, how much more do we understand the mercy and the love of our dear Lord who sent his son to die for our sins that we know he has an abundance of mercy toward us as people? Abundance. I mean, it's unquestionable that God has been merciful beyond what mer I mean, there is no expression of mercy more than what Jesus did on the cross for us. So he says, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, he just goes deeper in that. He says, now, I need you to blot out my transgressions. Now, this is something that David didn't fully understand or know, but once again, we know about David, that David was constantly brushing up against the messianic idea, the understanding of what what. Uh, salvation and forgiveness of sin was going to be. David, David had a special relationship with, with God beyond what was, he lived beyond his time. Let's just put it that way. He created a worship system that anybody else would have created, God would have judged because it was outside the temple. It was outside the prescribed order. David did it and everybody stands back and says, what is he, what is he doing? And God looks down and says, he gets it. It never was about 
prescription. It was never about what you do and how you do it. It was never about any of that. It was always about what? The heart. And David had it. David reached for God. And you could almost see God looking at David and saying, David, 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 slow down here, dude. You're getting ahead of me. I'm sending my son, but he's not coming for another thousand, well, well, three or four hundred years, five hundred years. He's not coming for a while yet. So slow down there, Buck. But he had the heart of God, because that's what happens when you draw near to God. When you draw near to him, he, as I said, you get caught up in who God is, caught up in what God is doing, okay? So he got caught in his sin, but he also got caught up in the love of God, and he knew it. And so he prays, wash away my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And unfortunately, that's what sin does, doesn't it? It creates an indelible mark in our psyche, all the reading that I do on psychology and, and the things that they discover regarding the brain, and, 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 and it's interesting because they don't really know what they're looking at. And if they would look at Scripture, they'd see that how we handle sin and guilt and shame is so much different than all the other things. And the reason why it stands out so uniquely is it was something that we were never, ever exposed to, uh, supposed to experience. God didn't create us. That's why sin and shame and guilt are so alien to us. That's why we react to it like a disease, like a tumor of the mind, is because we were never supposed to ever have it. So David immediately runs to God and he says, look, I need this out. I need it washed. It's a stain. I need it cleansed. I need you, Lord, to take the brush the bristle brush of truth and get it out because it's ever before me. I look in the mirror and there it is. You ever had a bad spot and you try to look past it? Believe me, I've done that many Sunday mornings. You stand up and oh, they'll never see that. And Andrea's going, dude, get back in there. You can't go to church with that on. It's ever before us. We try to ignore it. And maybe not everybody will see it, but we know. We know. That's what David is saying here. I know my transgressions and my sin always before me. So we have a, a God of great compassion. When we think in terms of where we are now in the New Testament, what takes place in the Christian soul's, uh, soul now is not unlike what David went through. David has a prophet that comes to him and says, let me tell you a little story. Well, this guy should be put to death. Well, that's you, David. You're the one who've done, who's done this. And David was like, I mean, he was confronted with truth. And, and it's interesting that sin does create, create a, a sense of madness. It really does. I know that myself from personal use, <laughs> but I also know it. And how people will just insist. Saw on the news recently this lady who ran in a, tri, a triathlon. And she beat one of the country's top female performers by several minutes. And everybody was scratching. And of course, the lady who was used to winning all the races and was the top performer, you know, it's interesting. She finishes like a couple minutes ahead, this woman, had a couple minutes ahead of this champion. They're all just scratching their head. They give, you know, nobody really knows, knows what to do. They give her the medal, and they all just walk away. Well, man, she ran an unbelievable race. 
then people began to wonder, wait a minute. <laughs> There's no way. Nobody could beat her by that much. So they went back, and so they asked her, they said, well, look, did you do the two, there was supposed to be two laps in the middle of the run part. Did you do that? She said, yes, absolutely. So everybody's just like, well, we've got to take a word for it until they found out a company was there recording the whole race. Uh-oh. There was a visual. There's a recording. There's <laughs> truth has been called in. And sure enough, she only ran that circuit once. Nobody knows what she did before. And the madness has ensued because now she's insisting she, that she did. And, and that's what we will do as human beings. We will defend ourselves to the bitter, bloody, ugly end. Even when the videotape shows we were there, we did it. The prophet comes up and says, Hatish, Hatish, and he says, Thou art the man. And David was smart enough to know if God knows, I'm caught. If there's conviction. Now, the truth is, we should never really let it come to that. We shouldn't. Because that's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit's job is to come and say, I got gotcha, you, but you know what? We're going to deal with this because I love you. I've sent my son. We're going we're to wash you. We're going to clean you. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get this stain out of your soul because Jesus already provided that. Man, we've already gone through the double cycle cleansing wash. The key is we've got to, we got to walk in with it. We've we got to agree with it. Which, which leads us to our next point. So David had that initial sense of understanding. Inside, inside him, he's crying out, uh-oh. So he goes out from, it's Nathan the prophet, isn't it? He goes out from Nathan's presence, and now he's got to do something. Because it's just him and Nathan. Nathan represents the Holy Spirit. He's been convicted. He goes into his inner room. What is he going to do with just having been convicted of what he's done? What is he going to do? David's the king. He could take this a little further, couldn't he? Well, let's just kill Nathan. Hey, Nathan, um, look, I need you on the front battle lines. Just keep doing what he's doing. And go to Joab and say, look, put Nathan. Nathan? What? <laughs> yeah, put Nathan on the front battle line. I want him right up in the front. Let him pray in the spirit all he wants. That would have been a graver sin. But David knew better. David goes to his inner chamber and says, I've been caught. I've got conviction going on here. I know what I did was wrong. And he knew instinctively what to do next. And it's right in our story here. It's right in our song. Next comes confession. And let's read it, and then we'll, we'll backtrack here a little. He goes, and my sin is ever before me against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I, will sin, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. There's so much there. But what David then does is rather than to try to just bury it and, and just ignore what has been brought up in his soul, he says, no, you're right. You got me. 
He's got nothing to say to Nathan. Nathan just has to deliver the word. Nathan already knows he's guilty. He doesn't need to confess it to Nathan. He needs to go to who? He needs to go to God. Because God has called him out. And we have this almost New Testament in a macro look, what is really a micro process in every Christian's heart. So he then goes to his inner chamber and he says this, Lord, you got me. I've done evil. He called it what it was. Evil. Wait a minute. David? Evil? Oh, that doesn't, that doesn't go together. David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man who was, when he was out there in the desert, and he loved God, and he had all, he's already written all these wonderful songs and psalms, and, and he's the guy that, that, that moved the temple. He's the guy that, that created this process of worship, and he's the guy. And rather than David trying to fight and defend himself, he says, no, I, I did what I did was evil in your sight. And you are right in your verdict, and you're justified. When you judge, it's a done deal. What God says is true. What God says, we can't wiggle out from. What God says, we can't create a neo-morality. And we talked about last week, the neo-morality and what we're trying to create as a culture now and all the things that we're trying to do to make it easier on ourselves. God says, no, I haven't changed and I never will change. What I said was wrong, was wrong then. Wrong today. And it'll always be sin in my eyes. And so I can't re-preach last week, so you can go back and listen to that. But So he, he says, you know, you're right. What you've judged has been judged. Then he goes a little deeper. He taps into a theological truth that I think is so absolutely critical to understanding sin. He says, surely I was sinful at birth. We call this original sin when we talk about uh, the theology or the doctrine of sin. Born into it, man. Steeped in it. It's in your DNA. To the point where we die. I read an article. Yeah, you say, Dave, you read a lot of articles. Yeah, I do. Thousand, they say that today, the person alive today, there is a person alive today who will live to be a thousand years old. That's what they're determined to do. Still building that ziggurat, aren't they? Still building that Tower of Babel. Back in the old days, it was to try to be like God. Now it's to live forever like God. I got a funny feeling that one's not going to work out. But be that as may. It is the revealing of the heart of man to say, we're going to supersede what sin has done to the human body. And God says, no, I'm going to let you live 75, 80 years if you have the strength, and that's about it. Then I'm taking you into eternity, the next phase. Surely sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So David just says, God, you know I'm a mess. I'm broken. I've got sin inside me. I don't even know what to do with myself. And that's really a proper thing. It's not trying to get out. David's not trying to get out from under sin. He's just, he's taking it all. It's like he's saying, okay, I, I need a spanking. You want to give me three swats? Why don't you give me five? Because that's really what I need. I know that I was sinful from birth. I recognize how far this sin goes. And that's really, really key, my friends. Really, really key. To understand, not just that, that I make mistakes, but that I am sinful and in need of a Savior. 
that brings a humility, that brings a brokenness, that brings us into a right understanding, a right relationship with God, that we understand that he is God, I am not, he's the savior, I am not a savior, I need to be cleansed, he's the one who provided for it. This is what we call a proper position, a proper placement, an understanding of deep, true humility. And out of that humility, other things can grow. It's when we get, David, as I said, could have wiped you know, his mouth and he could have put on, he could have just said, as I said, he could have just ignored Nathan like so many other kings after him did. But David was too much of a man who understood God. He knew what he did was wrong. He says, you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. He said, you know what, God, I've been really advanced. This is the way my take on this is that, man, right out of the womb, I came out. It's like the baseball, baseballer who can hit home runs and doesn't even try. It's like the musician who can sit down, have perfect pitch, and learn to pick up a mus- you know, an, an instrument. It's like the artist. It's like the, the poet. It's like anybody, a, a guy who can fix anything with his hands. He was, he's got it by birth, and he just says, you know, I, I don't know where it came from. It just was given it. Here's David saying, look, from the moment I was born, I had an attention for you. I had a focus on you. I had a love for you. My dad kicked me out into the desert. I, had a, I just looked up to the stars and knew you were there. From my mother's womb, even in this secret place, you desired faithfulness, and I understood it. And what I think David is saying here is that makes my sin that much worse. Because I know what you, who you are. I know, ho- I know how holy you are. I know how righteous you are. I know what, how, how many times you came to me and encouraged me and gave me that song as I was playing the lyre that when my soul was, was, was like, Dad, why did you kick me out here? Why do I have to sit out here weeks at a time isolated? You came to me. You gave me your love and you drew me in. And even from birth, I had a natural inclination that when, the, when Samuel showed up, he said, there's your guy. He's going to be your next king. And David says, yeah, I killed a tiger, I killed a lion, I killed a bear with his hands right here. Now, that's an exceptional kid. That was David. Exceptional. So he's going, I should know better, but it makes my understanding of who you are that much greater. The folks were all David in the house. He said, what? How am I David in the house? Let me tell you. If you've heard the message of Jesus Christ, if you know what Jesus did on the cross for you, if you understand the gospel in any sense of basic theological understanding, then you're David. So that when we sin, we know that we're pounding that nail into his hands. When we sin, we know we ignore the greatest merciful act ever done in the universe. We do. So that when we do sin and we compare it to what Jesus did on the cross for us, the pain is that much worse, isn't it? That's what David is saying here. You were faithful to me from the womb. I understood your faithfulness. And here I go and turn around 
and send, what was it, Uriah? Was that David's, uh, was Bathsheba's husband? I sent Uriah into battle where he was killed. And then I slept with this beautiful woman I saw on a roof. Immorality got in his heart. It says when kings were, were supposed to be off for war, David was at home. That's a whole nother teaching. David knew it. His heart was cut deep. And you can look at your notes and go back. But he says, against you, you only have I sinned. And that's important for us to understand. Jesus expanded upon this, by the way. And I wanted you to, in your, in your spare time, to look at Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24. But Jesus said, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. David was saying, look, I'm sorry, Jesus was saying, look, yes, you've sinned against God, but we're going to take this deeper. You need to repent to people too. So if you've hurt someone, we need to take this the whole, see, David, that, that we know, I mean, he couldn't make it right with Uriah. We don't know that he made it right with Uriah's family. We don't need, know that he had any kind of what we'd call uh, uh, rest, restitution in any sense. But Jesus is saying, yeah, to really understand what forgiveness is, you need to do that too. So if, if our sin is, involves other people, we need to make it right with them as well, don't we? We need to think about that. So the confession part of it. So we get caught the conviction. Then we have the confession. And so we know that God desires righteousness from every human being from birth. That's why he sent his son. So what I've done at the end of each of these segments, and so if you've got the notes, you can keep it. And I'm just saying, you can take this home and make it a, a useful tool. Right down to each section, I wrote the first one. Write down the areas about which you feel the Holy Spirit is convicting you. Okay? And then confession. Write down the sins you need to confess before the Lord. Have you sinned against a person? Ask them to forgive you. In your prayer, confess, your, uh, confess to God your sin and come into agreement with him. Acknowledge that what God says is always right. His word is true. And I think that is absolutely key. And we confess our sin. We need to tell God, you're right. I'm wrong. What I did was wrong. When I entertained that thought, when I gave into this lifestyle, when I give it, I am wrong. But then, but what happens, what happens in our souls? We rise up, but, but, but. David could have said, David could immediately have gone to, but now I've got Bathsheba. So, I mean, she's my wife now. What am I going to do there? And on top of that, what was, what was going on in Bathsheba? She was pregnant. Remember that? Consequences do go on. And of course, the baby died. But you, and there's so many wonderful things with that, but you know, the first baby dies, David cries out for that baby to live, which was an appropriate thing for him to do. David goes on to have another child with Bathsheba, who remembers what his name was, Solomon. Hmm. Does God take our brokenness, our stupidity, our foolishness, those things sometimes sown in fear, sown in lust, sown in bitter, murderous heart, and through confession, through 
uh, conviction and telling God and coming to alignment with him? Can God then take the ashes of our crud and do something wonderful? He most certainly can. And that, so if you've got any question, like, well, why should I, why should I do all of this? And see, I think this is this love affair that people and Christians in general have with sin right now is that we want to justify it. We want to go as far as we can to the line and what, what, what really keeps us from changing and really falling headlong into the ways of God, of really giving ourselves fully to it, is that we're convinced that we're holding on to something that will keep us still happy. When God says, if you will follow me utterly and come into full agreement with me that that which you are doing, that which you are thinking, that which you are approving of is sin, that it's upon that bed that God can do miraculous things, that God will carry on your heritage. And really, that's, David was bored out of his gourd, and then he does something stupid, and then he falls in, and he realizes what I've done is wrong, and then he falls on his face before God and says, I've done what is wrong. God says, well, you've doomed this little baby. But if you continue to walk in front of me, and there's, there are times when we have babies in our lives that are born in that sin, that are taken from us, a dream, a vision, a marriage. But if we will follow through, instead of writing stupid Facebook posts that try to, 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 to justify what we've done and try to glorify what we've done, or God helps those who help themselves, that kind of mess. We try to do that, then we do not glorify God, and we do not give him a pathway to do a miraculous thing to bring forth a Solomon in our life, to bring forth a something that restores what was our original heart and intent, but what? His way. Mm. I see it all the time. I'm tempted in it in my own life. Do it in my own strength, do it in my own way, and often that means iniquity. Won't work. Finally, there's cleansing. I hope you don't feel I'm, I'm, I'm pushing your nose down in it. But sometimes we do have to smell it to understand what it really is. Thirdly, cleansing. Let's read. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the, the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. The blotting out is a cool concept, right? You got something written in ink, and you take that original ink and you pour it over the top, then it's over. <laughs> you will never see what was there again. Because even if you take the scrub brush, everybody knows you got your favorite shirt, you get a little bad stain on there, you really look close. Still a little bit there, unless you're wearing black. But God says, no, I blot it out. I use the concept of what happened there. I blot it out. I, make, I take what you did in iniquity and in, in, in sinfulness, and I will work it into my plan. So that you no longer see the mistake of it. You never see. I love what David is asking for here. Keep, I'm keeping moving on. Create in me a pure heart, O oh God. David gets it. 
He says, what I really need is a pure heart, not just a heart that keeps one foot, one toe in that world, right? That is what we try to do. And when we stand, nothing will be more, more clear and evident when we stand before the brightness and the holiness of our dear God, the, whole, the utter holiness, the, pure, the, the brightness where every single lie, every single hidden thing, every single neo-moral idea that is brought up before God and said, well, we had a little bit better idea, God says, no, I am holiness to the nth degree, no shadow no turning, no adjustment, just because you're a culture that thinks you've got it figured out. No, I am who I am. This is God speaking. So David says, create inside me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I like that part, don't you? Because what happens is when we're caught there's that fear, is God going to destroy me? Is everything going to be waste? Am I going to be exposed? Am I going to be embarrassed? Am I, is, this all, is this what all that's going to happen? And then you cry out to God, and God begins to cleanse our heart. Because that's the beauty of being a Christian, my friends. So we don't have to go to the temple to sacrifice anything. We can, in the quietness of our car, of our room, of our place, right here, right now, say, Lord, would you forgive me and wash me? <sighs> Happens instantly. Why? Because it's already been done. We, we only come into agreement with what already has been done. The only requirement we have is to humble ourselves, confess, repent, and let him do it. 1 John 1, 9, 8 and 9. He's faithful and just to purify us from all unrighteousness. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You can see all the things that David was struggling with right here. He says, I need a pure heart because I, now that I see it, I'm disgusted with myself. Why would I do that? Why would I send Uriah into battle? Why would I, why would I take this, this woman who I now love and rob her of her childhood love? Why would I do that? He sees it. And why would I lie? Why would I do these things? So he says, renew a steadfast spirit in me because that's the thing. Now it's almost like we pendulum because what happens when we get caught? We've all been there. What do we want to say? Oh, I give up. I don't want to do this anymore. God, just take me home. I don't want to have to fight with sin anymore. I don't like what's going on. And that's where so many Christians, they just, they just give up. Well, I'm not going to go to church anymore. And they live in this quasi-world of, of understanding what forgiveness is. And, and, of course, they try to blame shift, blame everyone. Oh, the preacher, you know, he preached out of Psalm 51 that Sunday. really ticked me off. I'm never coming back. I understand that. Happens all the time. Our community is filled with people who need their spirits renewed. They need that steadfast spirit again. They need to rise up. David says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. We know in the New Testament that that's in, there's no way that that's what God is going to do, although we can if we continue to walk in um, you know, lying to ourselves and covering over these things that what we, the Holy Spirit does diminish our understanding of who God is. I mean, look, pure and simple. 
sin is insanity. Paul said it clearly, sin is death. We've already talked about that. Sin in your mind, sin in your will, sin in your emotion. I'm sorry, death in your mind, death in your will, death in your emotions. There's not going to be any joy when we're walking in hidden sin. No joy. We try to put it on. Matter of fact, we, what we try to do is just take drugs to kind of, and alcohol to kind of create joy. Just manufacture it. That's really what's all going on there. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Restore to me a joy of your salvation. i got to finish here. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David knew that he could not dig himself out of that place. And often we can't. But when we come into agreement, when we confess our sin, when we allow the Holy Spirit to for, forgive us and wash us clean, then what happens? The, 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 the joy of having a clean conscience is immeasurable. It's immeasurable. See, there's a euphoria I hate to get graphic here a little bit, but there's a euphoria that comes over the human being when it finally falls into sin, when it finally gives to it. When they finally say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm getting past what the psychiatrist, the psychiatrist has convinced me that sin is just in my mind. It's just something that man has created. And this whole concept, and, and it's an amazing thing that happens. There's, and I've seen it many times, by the way. It's a euphoria that can come over a human being, and there's this temporal joy and, and, and sense that, and, you, and sometimes as Christians, we look at and just say, and David saw it too. He says, why do the sinful rejoice? Why do they seem to have a good time? But then he goes on to say, but they're like flowers in the field, and eventually they will fade. We've seen some pretty important, pretty culturally uh, heavy-duty people passing away haven't, recently, haven't we? Some of them at a young age with disease, sexually transmitted diseases. Will anybody talk about that? Will anybody sit down and say that this is what a life without God produces? Yeah, you might have had a wonderful 50-year run, but how does it end? As human beings, we really should know that. We should understand that our ending is more important than our beginning or anything in between. Restore to me the joy of yourself and grant me a willing spirit. And I wrote down here, write down your, your revelations of cleansing Ask God to restore your soul, your mind, so you can think clearly. Your will to be restored to God so that you're willing to follow him wherever he leads because that is damaged in the process of sin. We're like that. We go back to being that wild stallion that's pulling against the reins of the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, our emotions. Wow, our emotions. It's where we often see the effects of sin the most. Your relationships, the work of your hands, find a commission. And I love this because I told, and I was talking to Andrew, I said, wow, I've never really seen this before, but check this out. Because once we've been caught, once we've been brought into conviction and God does, starts to work that, uh, that work inside us, and when he begins to cleanse us and we're getting that, we don't stop there. David gets it. He says, then I will teach transgressor, transgressors your way. Wait a minute. You're a transgressor. Who are you to go out and tell everybody else about what they need to do? No, 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 you don't understand. When you've walked in humility and brokenness, now you're really qualified to go talk to people, aren't you? Because you're not just coming up and saying, hey, do, you know, 
don't do what I did. Or you just tell, hey, and, and often what can happen for Christians is we go around and tell them, stop sinning, yet secretly sin ourselves. That's legalism. But David is saying, look, when you've been through the process, you're still going to be a saved, uh, a person who's been restored to go out and to be a helper, to be a healed helper. So now you can be a part of the process of going to someone, look them in the eye and say, I did this. I did what you're attempting to do right now. I'm telling you, don't do it. It is going to kill you. It is going to, you're going to have damage in your life. There's going to be consequences. It's going to be painful. Don't do it. And if we had more loving Christians who rather just would judge and pick it rather than lovingly come around someone and just tell them, look, I'm, I'm telling you, you're going to damage your soul. This is what the lifelong, I know you're feeling the euphoria of the moment right now, that you feel like la, 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 you know, that this is all good. It's not. There are many, many people who live with cancer for many years and don't know they have it. And that's sin, a deep cancer. It eventually will come to the surface. So there's this commission. Then I'll teach transgressions your way so that sinners will turn back to you. And that is the heart of God. What, is, what did I say? What is our calling? Come on now, help me. Thank you, thank you. Look, this team ain't going out in the field until we get it. All right? I mean, this is as simple as, what do we want to do? Win! We can do that. What has God called us to do? To be? That's right. Thank you. We need it. We, 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 we're going to need to work on that one. All right? Yeah, yeah, the early. Thank you, Jennifer. I, I'm sorry. I drank two cups of coffee, so I'm like. All right. Let's keep going. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. He's embraced it, hasn't he? Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. I'm sorry, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. Another New Testament concept that David is hitting on. He said, look, wow, I've gotten so close to understanding. You're not really into the whole bulls and, and, and goats and stuff, are you? Really, God, are you? Mm-mm. No, what I want is a contrite and broken heart. What I'm really looking for is for a human being that embraces all of what I've said and will come into agreement with me and understand that what happened in Adam and Eve has happened in you, that understand that you need a Savior and you are broken and that, you know what, what the world says is bunk, that what God says is true, yes and amen from beginning to end, and I may not perfectly walk in it as as none of us in this room will do. Because I'm not touting that, by the way. I'm not preaching perfection here today. What I'm preaching is brokenness. What I'm preaching is agree with God. And when he convicts your heart of something, come and give it to him. He says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. So ask God to heal your soul. So, and allow it to be released to receive the energy from heaven, to free your tongue to praise God and to thank him for his healing work. That was the only other thing I was going to say, is that's why worship can be such a better experience for us. If you stand and you come in and you say, why does everybody else seem to be happy this morning? Well, it's not because anybody's more pure or more perfect. 
is because we just went to the laundromat and we got good and cleaned up. And we're really, really grateful that God still loves us for our crud. You know what I'm talking about? That's why worship becomes a good thing. It's because you're sitting there going, oh man, I'm before my Savior today. And I made some mistakes this past week. And I've confessed him. I've come into agreement with him. He loves me. And we're reminded of, of his goodness and his mercy all over again from the first strike of the, of, the, of the keyboard and the guitar and the drums. And it draws me into a place of real great gratitude. And it might even come during the worship time, another layer. Hey, you forgot about this. Oh. But we don't have to wait a second, do we? We don't have to wait a second. I mean, we don't have to go, well, I'm leaving. I'm going home. I'm sorry. I've got to work this thing through. No. God convicts you of something during the worship experience, man. You just say, Lord, well, you got me. Here, to, here I am. Forgive me. Wash me. Restore to me joy. Give me a message that I can share with others. Amen. That's the heart of God. That is the process, by the way, that I've just walked you through. So what I want you to do, you got an assignment. I want you to take Psalm 51 this coming week. Take your notes. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Because you know what? I can guarantee you greater, awesome things are coming your way. Breakthroughs at work. Breakthroughs in your relationships, your marriage, your friendships, your money. So many things that come out of the ashes of a broken and contrite spirit. Come wonderful miracles. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up this morning.